and uh, I'm not going to preach on all ten tonight, but I will tell you that, just to remind you and review for most of you, these commandments are um, not um, temporal. They're, they're as good as much for you and I tonight as they were when they were given. They, uh, they, uh, we, we put them on plaques. We put them on monuments. There was a time we could put them on the courthouse square, but um, they're relevant. There are four of them that have to do with our relationship with God, and then the last six have to do with our relationship with each other. It's interesting that the first four deal with our relationship with God this way. And I think the reason is, if we don't have this relationship right this way, then these relationships going this way will not be right. You'll be a better husband, sir, if you had a relationship with God. You would be a much better wife, ma'am, if you had a relationship. And I'm talking about a living relationship uh, with the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. If you knew Jesus intimately, you would have a better relationship uh, as far as uh, being what you ought to be as a, a mother. And you can apply that with anything. So this relationship is very important. Because of that tonight, I just want to discuss just the first two of the Ten Commandments. Somebody put it this way. There are ten to win. You want to win in life, then uh, get these Ten Commandments down and, uh, and uh, realize what the Lord is trying to tell us. The Bible says here in verse number 1 of Exodus chapter number 20, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 4 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Verse 6 says, And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. These two commandments. The first one tells us, who to worship. Both of them center on worship. The term worship is used sometimes, I think, a little carelessly, a little lightly. Um, we give worship different definitions these days. But real worship is real intimacy between you and the Lord. And the truth is, you cannot confine worship on a one-hour timetable on a Sunday morning. You say, well, do you worship God? Sure, I worship God down there at that church. Well, you better be worshiping God down here at this church. This is a, this is a place where we worship God. But can I tell you, as soon as you exit the door tonight, you'll be worshiping God as you walk to your car. When you turn it on, you can worship God and should be worshiping God as you drive away from this place you call your house of worship. I'm just simply saying that you cannot... That worship is not a song, it's a lifestyle. 
And if we don't understand that, then we're not really doing what God commanded us to do. These are not ten suggestions, as somebody said. These are ten commandments. And the first one tells us who we are to worship. You say, well, why would God tell us to worship Him? I mean, He is God, yes, but there are a lot of little G gods, small g, not capital, that compete with the God, the holy God, the only true God. You say, well, what kind of gods are there? Well, the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people that worship a lot of things. It doesn't have to be made out of wood. It doesn't have to be made out of a piece of metal. But there are a lot of things, people, where anything that you put in front of God that commands your attention and reverence and, yes, worship, you, you worship something before God. Did you know there are fa- that we, uh, we use um, simple little things, I guess, that we can understand. Uh, people that would put somebody or uh, something before God. I know people whose job is more important than worshiping God. And because of that, if they're called to work, they go and work. Then the truth is, they don't have to, in many cases, have to work. They could come back and go to church, but they're busy. And soon the busyness of life takes over, and soon worship takes a secondary place in their life, and they're consumed with something more important. It's what they live for, breathe for. Don't get mad yet, because I'm just warming up. But, uh, uh, but, but there's a lot of things that we can worship in front of God. Let me just, since I'm on a few little things, can I tell you something? I love my family. But I know people that put their family in front of God. And when they do, their family has become their idol. You see here, first of all, man molds an idol. And then an idol, watch this now, molds the man. Because you become what you worship. That's why it's so important. This is the first commandment. You have to know who to worship. It's God in heaven. And he makes it pretty clear, doesn't he? I mean, if you went to third grade and learned how to read, you would understand this commandment. I am the Lord thy God. And then he adds, uh, tells us more about him and who he is. So there's absolutely no question who to worship. He said, I'm the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Do you know why? Because Egypt had a lot of little g, little gods, did they not? And plague after plague after plague, God was setting the score. He was, he was showing who really was God, was He not? And it turns out He won, right? And so in Exodus chapter number 20, He's just telling His first commandment, who to worship. There's, there should be no question then who it is that we are to worship. And then he gives us a second one. And that's the one I really want to focus on tonight. He tells us not only who to worship, but listen to this. The second commandment tells us how to worship who we worship. Now hear me, you can worship the one real God, but if you're not worshiping God in the way He wants you to worship Him, then you're, you're in error. You're making some mistakes. 
And, uh, and, and not only is it important who we worship, but ladies and gentlemen, hear me tonight. It's important how to worship who we worship. Do you know there are a lot of churches in name only that are really not worshiping God? They think they are. They, they act like they do or try to act like they do. Now, so let, let, give me your, your, your attention because now we're going to go into uh, depth here a little bit. Verse number 4. Why, why is it so important to worship God in a particular way? Well, verse 4 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Notice this three-tiered verse here. Heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, number two, or number three, or that is in the water under the earth. And let me just tell you something, that covers it all. That really does cover it all. If you're trying to figure out who God is, uh, you, you start way up here, start here, or start down there, but you need to figure out who God is. And God says when you've done that, don't make a graven image of anything in those areas there. And he goes on and says this, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Now we're, getting, now we're going to bring this a little bit closer to where we live. Because here's what happens. We, make, we, we, we can make an idol uh, out of almost anything, as I, as I just mentioned. And the truth is, when we have an idol that's before God, anything that's, that takes the place of God in our life, it is easy to bow down to, give reverence to, give, give uh, first fruits to, first place to. And then, eventually, we start serving them. And what happens is, we've robbed God of worship. Now, I'm going to give you a Bible illustration. There are several that I could choose from uh, tonight. But notice this next part in verse number 5. And then I'll spring to this illustration that I've selected. The Bible says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. And then watch this. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Now, when you and I think of the word jealousy, we have this definition. If I ask you what the definition of jealousy was, you could, you could finish it. The green-eyed what? Monster. And all of a sudden, we think, whoa, my goodness, God is a green-eyed monster? Who I could, how could God be jealous? Well, because God is God. And God has a holy jealousy. Quite, quite comparable, actually, to a love relationship that would cause us to be jealous. For example, I'm, I, this is my wife-to-be. I love her dearly. But let us, let us just suppose, and this is a big suppose. I don't think it could ever happen in my lifetime. But let's just suppose that I walked outside of church tonight, and there she was embraced in the arms of some man. That wouldn't be any man here, I'm sure. But, uh, but some man has, has whisked her off her feet. And they're gazing in each other's eyes. Maybe it's love at first sight. I don't know. Maybe he's some, some long-lost uh, love that has tracked her down to Keitha Heights Baptist Church tonight to try to win her over. I don't know. But all of a sudden, he's holding her. He's looking into her eyes. And then he presses forward 
for this kiss. And all of a sudden, I'm standing there outside the door. Now, I don't think I'm going to say, Well, God bless you, Miss Sharon. Hope you have a wonderful time in the Lord. I don't, I don't think that would be my reaction. In fact, I think there would probably be just like that in, instant jealousy. Now, and can I tell you why there should be? Because I am engaged to her. I have earned the right to, if somebody takes, comes in between her and me, then, then I can get jealous. And God says that you and I are His bride. And if there is someone that, or something that comes in between Him and you, He, he is a jealous God. Now, I want you to see something else. It says, it says this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. Did you know why it says fathers? I just talked to a man this afternoon. He said, well, I'd like to go to a church, but uh, the preacher's a little bit tough, and my wife doesn't like it, so we were looking for another church. I said, well, that's fine, but, sir, you, you are the spiritual leader. You are personally accountable and responsible to God for, for, for yourself and her. You are to lead her. It's not the iniquity of the mothers mentioned here. It says the iniquity of the fathers, the spiritual leader in the home. And notice it says this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Just Saturday night, Saturday night in downtown St. Louis, on one of our busiest of streets, ten people are shot, one shot dead. They're all juveniles. First question that, I, that crosses my mind is, where are their daddies? Now, I don't know if you were to find out where their fathers were. You would probably find out a large percentage of them don't even... They, they, they don't ever see their father around. He's not really what he ought to be, perhaps. Maybe that's why they're carrying around semi-automatics and pointing them and shooting them uh, and killing people. But it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Every once in a while, somebody tells me, well, I, I, I didn't think what I was doing would, would hurt anybody else but me. Can I tell you, if that's the way you think about your particular sin that nobody else knows about except you and God, can I tell you, you just listen to and believe the devil's lie. You are not an island, ma'am. You are not an island, sir. You do not just sin, and your sin only affects you. Your sin has consequences, and it ripples Farther than you could ever think. And I want to show you that in the Bible tonight. Because it says, Unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Wow. You mean that my actions could have that kind of major consequence? That what I do now and the decisions I make now not only just affect me, but it could affect my son and my son's son, my grandson. 
And my grandson's son, my great-grandson? Yes, indeed. I want you to see just one illustration of it. I could use several others, but Second Chronicles chapter number 26. Let's just have a little Bible study here and look at something that happened. It really did happen. It's a fact. This is not some fairy tale story, but look at Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse number 16. Let me just stop and just say that this is about Uzziah, the young king, who, by the way, was a good king. He, um, the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He, um, he led Israel through some wonderful, wonderful things and uh, military conquest. And, and uh, he actually became quite famous, honestly. Uzziah the great king. In fact, the Bible says there, look at it in verse number 16. But when he was strong, nobody questioned his strength. Nobody questioned his ability. Nobody questioned even really his kingship. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. In other words, he became very prideful. He was the king. He had been in battle. He had tasted what victory is all about. Nobody would look at this king and question him, you would think. When he was strong, it says something happened inside. His heart was lifted up, and it says to his destruction. You would think, all right, whatever it is, it's only going to affect him. But wait a minute. It says this, For he transgressed against the Lord his God, watch this, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. That sounds so innocent, but really, in reality, it's not. Because it's not the king's responsibility or job to go inside the temple and burn incense for himself. God had already laid out his plan uh, for worship with the temple in the Old Testament. And verse number 21, look at it there. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death. You know why he was a leper? Because he worshipped God in a wrong way. It is important who you worship. It is important how you worship who you worship. And Uzziah said, I'm the king. I don't need the priest to take my, uh, my, sacri- my, my burnt uh, incense to the altar. I can do that. I'm the king. And pride filled his heart. And he bypassed God's method of worship. And the Bible says that from that moment, Uzziah was a leper and dwelt in a several house. That means cut off from everybody else. Being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Now watch this. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So now we've got Uzziah. A good king. But he became prideful. 
wanted to worship God in a wrong way, and he did, and became a leper. But now he has a son, and his name is Jotham. This is the second generation. Let's see what happens with Jotham. We know that his dad, Uzziah the king, died as a leper. Look at chapter number 27. Jotham was twenty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. His mother, uh, his mother's name also was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And watch this, verse two. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Wow, I love that. I love that. Like father, like son. But you ought to circle the next word. How be it? It's a big word. That just flashes to me. Just flashes to me. How be it? Boy, he's a good king. Except, watch it now, he, this is Jotham, he entered not into the temple of the Lord. And the people did yet what? Corruptly. Now, think about it for just a minute. Here's a young king. He starts out well in his kingdomship. He, he's a good king. He, he, he's doing that which was right. But how be it? You say, well, what did he do? Uh, he just stopped worshiping altogether. He didn't even bother to go into the temple. Can I tell you that I think this, as a preacher, I'm saying this as a preacher, but if I were not a preacher, I would say this as a child of God. I think there is a direct correlation between your walk with Christ and a New Testament church. If you are not right with this church, you cannot be right with the Lord. I think the Lord uniquely made it that way. That's why we have... Um, church discipline ever once in a while. We're trying to get you back into a right relationship, not only this way, but this way with one another. And there are some people that have just abandoned the church altogether. It's interesting what COVID seems to have done to many of our churches. I know that in our little association, we've had three churches close their doors just in the state of Missouri in the last two years. They were already small, fledgling works, and COVID just about turned the key to the lock on the front door of the church. And now they're no longer. Jotham said, you know what? I'm just, this is me talking now, okay? I think Jotham said, you know, Dad had some problems down at the temple. Well, I'll just use the word church. And he had some problems with those priests that didn't want him to go in there and offer burnt incense on the altar, but he was the king. And, and there's a little confrontation there. And, and you know, it didn't come out so well for Dad. He was a leper from that point on. And you know what? If, if, if Dad didn't, didn't get along well with the uh, folks down there at the, the church, I, I, why, why do I need it? Why do I need it? So all of a sudden we see the consequences of a father visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children. And now we're at the second generation. But wait a minute, it's not over yet. Look at chapter um, 
But we're in chapter 27. Let's stay there. And look at verse number 9. And Jotham slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Ahaz, his son, reigned in his stead. So this is the third generation. We've got Uzziah. Uzziah says, you know what, I'll burn incense on the altar myself. I don't need the priest to do that for me. I'm the king. We've got his son Jotham who says, you know what, I don't even need church. I, don't, I won't even go to church. We went from wrong worship to no worship. Now we're at the third generation, Ahaz. Jotham has a son. His name is Ahaz. Let's look and see what this son does. And it's incredible what he really does. Look at chapter 28, would you please. And Ahaz, the Bible says there in verse 1, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. Watch this now. In verse number 2, For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Balaam. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. We've gone from false or wrong worship to no worship, and now we're down to, I guess I would call it heathen worship, wouldn't you? He's doing that. The Bible says it's evil. And the reason it's evil is he's made also molten images for Balaam. The very commandment that God pretty much made that pretty clear. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. But Ahaz says, you know what? I'm the king too. I can do what I want to do, I guess. And these molten images of Balaam he did. But wait a minute, that's not where it ends. Look at verse number 24. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. By the way, let me just add to that. Uh, his, His worship was so heathen, he said, you know what, I'll take everything out, out of the building. I'll just cut it up into little pieces and just discard it. And then I'll take nails and I'll put them on the doors of the church. Can you imagine a church that has served in its community for three, let's say three generations? Our church is 44 years of age. This church is about in the same uh, time period. Can you imagine that somebody starts worshiping God here in this church in a wrong way? You say, well, we can worship Him any way we want to. Oh, no, you can't. No, no, you can't. Because your sin has consequences. And then can you imagine the second generation comes along and says, well, you know what? I I don't even think we need church. We've got other things. We'll make the lake our church. We'll take the family down there and have a good campfire and, and somebody will say prayer for the hot dogs. And that'll be our worship. We don't need to come to church. But wait a minute. 
Then this third generation comes on the scene, Ahaz. Ahaz says, you know what, I'm just going to go in there and take everything out. Cut it all into pieces and discard it. That's how much he cared for the things of the Lord. And then he says, it says he shut up the doors. He nailed the doors shut. I can picture now four sale signs on the outside of the church. I wonder how many times that's happened. I've been in churches. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a small church. I've been in some very large churches that are no longer churches, period. They're gone. And it didn't take that long. And I'm talking about in the church that had an auditorium that seated 5,000 people, 26 acres in downtown city in Tennessee. No longer. It's gone. And I'll tell you, if it's gone, it's gone because it violated some commandments. It is important to worship Him. And it's equally important to worship Him in the right way. Well, I hope you get this. And if you think this is not evil, you think, well, so what? He just cleaned the church out. Nailed the door shut so the wind wouldn't blow through it. Rain get in and the building deteriorate. No, no, he did more than that. He had heathen worship. Look in verse number 3 of chapter number 28 there. The Bible says, and this is Ahaz, Moreover, you think that was bad. Moreover, watch this now, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom. By the way, that's what his grandfather had done burned incense in the wrong way, right? He wanted to do it himself. He didn't need the priest to do that. But wait a minute. This is not burning incense in the temple. This is burning incense in the valley of Hinnom. And watch this. And burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. That's why I call this heathen worship. Let me tell you something. We've gone a long ways now from wrong worship to no worship to now you're burning your kids to the false gods of Baal. Baal was a god that that had a... a they, 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 molded, they, they molded him into having this huge belly. Miss Sharon and I were in Columbus, Ohio, a few, about a month ago, and we ate out at a was it a Chinese restaurant buffet place or whatever. And there, at the as you walked in this big foyer area, there was about a five foot uh, statue, uh, looked like made out of bronze or something of of I guess it was Buddha. I don't know who else to call it, but Buddha. But whatever it was, it, it was standing there with this big, big belly. And Miss Sharon, I don't know why she said this. She said, why don't you stand beside it? And I stood beside it. And I, and I looked at his belly and I looked at my belly. I thought, well, I see a little resemblance there. And, and I forced mine to, uh, you know, the belly to come out a little further. And, and she snapped, took that picture. But the belly of Moloch wasn't something we would laugh at. It was a hollowed out belly. It was a belly for the purpose of offering sacrifice. A great fire was built underneath it. 
And the truth of the matter is, if you threw a child into the belly of Moloch, it was an instant incineration, like, like a crematorium before there was crematoriums. But we're talking about children being offered as sacrifices. You said, where did that happen? It happened from a guy named Ahaz, whose granddaddy says, you know what, I'll burn incense any way I want to. I'm the king. Whose father says, you know what, I, don't, I won't even go to the temple. Who now himself, Ahaz says, just three generations, says, you know what, I'll just, I'll just start doing what all these other heathens are doing around me. I'll just worship like they worship. Let me just tell you something. What I just described to you is almost, almost a description of the United States of America when it comes to worship. And it starts with wrong worship. And wrong worship can slip over to no worship real quickly. And and no worship can slip over to heathen worship real quickly. I know folks who say they're born again that that, that I've known for years. And I I wouldn't... I'm telling you, their, their whole lifestyle is so different combative, would just as soon cuss God as bless God, who when I knew them many decades earlier, they loved the Lord, showed it by their church attendance. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm not trying to put fear in anybody's life, but I will tell you this, there are consequences for all of our actions, far greater then you and I would even understand or comprehend. If we could somehow reverse and go backwards just two generations and get to Uzziah, Uzziah, you want to do what? Well, I'm the king. I'll burn incense myself. Uzziah, don't do that. Well, it's not going to... If it's wrong, it's wrong just for me. No, No, it might be wrong for you and the next generation. And then the next generation, there are consequences that they're going to have because that's going to affect the next generation. And the whole thing just starts sliding. No, it's more than just a song worship. It's a lifestyle. I'm so happy that I had a godly mother and father who pointed me this direction. Can I go back just in three minutes and recapture my generations? I've lived to know four out of six of my great, or eight, uh, let's see, six out of five out of eight, I'll get it right in a minute, of my great-grandparents, which is highly unusual. How many of you have memories of a great-grandparent? Raise your hand. I have some wonderful memories. My great-grandparents, my great-grandfather attended a little Methodist church. That's the only church they had out in the area where they were living. He had a little little country store, and then the Great Depression hit. He lost that store, and when he did, he lost a great part of who he was. He turned to alcohol. They had four kids. Two of their girls died when they were both seven years of age. One was afflicted and died at seven. The other had measles and died at seven. 
There was a boy and a girl just left. My great-grandfather became an alcoholic. That's what he did. He would come home at night. And he, would, he, he wouldn't do this if he were sober. But he'd come home and, and take, they say, take his fist and just swing at my great-grandmother. Hit her in the face. And go on and pass out. My great-grandmother said, I've got two kids whose daddy has now abandoned them for the most part. But I have two kids I need to raise for the Lord. And she began to do that. She alone would take them to church. One of them was called to preach. Her son knocked on a door one day. And a 15-year-old boy answered the door. Happened to be my father, who had never gone to church in his life. This man said to my father, we'd like for you to come and visit our church. They did. Fifty-six people that first Sunday that they came. My daddy got saved. His two sisters got saved. His mother got saved. And his stepfather got saved. A whole family got saved and baptized. My dad was called to preach. My dad was preaching one night when I was seven years of age at the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois. On a Christmas Eve night when God touched my heart. Can I tell you, I don't know what would have happened had there not been a godly great-grandmother in my family line. Here's what I would recommend. So if the man doesn't, the, the, the iniquity of the fathers, the dad doesn't want to stand up and be the spiritual leader, then mama, you stand up. You be what you can be. If you have to wear two hats, then wear them. Do whatever it takes. Those children are worth it. I wish it were different. I wish my great-grandfather uh, would, would, would have lived a, di- a different lifestyle, but he didn't. But I'm so grateful the great-grandmother did. Because she was a great-grandmother to two kids who both served the Lord. And one of them crossed the path of my family. And I am here tonight. Because here's what I think. I think it's important to worship God in the right way. Shall we stand?